Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, our Tuesday edition. And I got too many other th sounds going on here. I'm sorry for that. I didn't shut off all my devices. Glad you're able to join us today. Uh, if you're joining us from uh, the Zoom app, uh, BibleQuest.tv, please use the Q&A button to text in your questions. We want to hear from you today with uh, the panelists as we discuss the questions that we have coming in. And uh, with me today is uh, Stephen. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Drew. How are you doing? Welcome, everybody. Stephen, you're down in Harrisburg. That's correct. Great. And what's the church you're working with down there? Uh, we're working with the Harrisburg Church of Christ, um, also known as the Capital City Christians. And uh, we're grateful to be in this area. Started up not too long ago. Um, we just got the website up recently. If you go to capitalcitychristians.com, uh, you can find more information about the group that meets here and different community studies we've got going on. Cool. That's great. Jeff Smeltzer, you're joining us from Exton, PA. Glad to have you here, Jeff. Good to see you, Drew, Scott, and Stephen, and everyone watching. And hi, Scott. How are you doing down there in Gettysburg? All by yourself now, now that Stephen left you, right? But unmute your microphone, Scott. No, unmute your microphone, Scott. Again. There you go. There now. you go. Okay. Now I'm unmuted. All right. You may want me muted back in a minute. But. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so, gentlemen, we have a couple of questions that came in recently, and let me read the first one. Uh, Mark uh, sent the questions in, call, uh, said, shouldn't all Christians be evangelical? I've heard this used to describe a type of Christian. Why is Christianity so divided? So we need to, uh, Scott, first of all, we've got to get into some definitions here, right, with these terms? Yeah, that would help. What do we mean by evangelical? And uh, before talking about how people use the word today, let's maybe talk about the original word that evangelist, evangelical, et cetera, come from. And so let's go to our resident Greek authority, Drew. Steve. <laughs> That's way over my pay grade. Let's turn it over to Jeff. <laughs> so everybody knows the word angel. And the word for angel in Greek is angelus. And uh, an angel is a messenger. Angelus means messenger. And angelia, which you can tell by the sound of it, is related to angelus, is message. Put the word you on the front of it. You is good. Um, you think of the word eulogy, which is a good saying. Uh, I, I thought you were complimenting me. You is good. <laughs> no, we'll do that at your funeral. We'll give a eulogy <laughs> and we'll say nice things about you. We'll compliment you then. Um, so you, good, and angelia, or angelian in this case, angelian is good message. And so the good message or good news, uh, that's the gospel. And so certainly in that sense, we can say, do we want to be evangelistic? Do we want to be people who are eager to spread the good news? Yes, we do. But there's another sense in which the word evangelical is used today, isn't there? Yes. Oh, and, and what word in the New Testament does the word euangelion stand behind? Gospel. The gospel. Good the good message. message. Yeah. 
And even going back to Isaiah in that passage that Jesus quoted at Nazareth, when he got up and they handed him the book of Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. I'm suspecting that in the Septuagint, that probably says you're in Galilee. Yeah, I'll check that real quickly. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I'll check it real quickly. But in in, in the New Testament, uh, it's, you know, Matthew 4, Jesus began speaking, and Mark 1, Jesus began preaching the gospel, good news. Uh, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, I preached the gospel to you, first of all, and he sums up the first three primary points and center of it as being what? That Jesus died for our sins and was buried and rose the third day the dead and appeared yeah so is everyone supposed to be evangelical then or is it just the preacher and what do we mean by evangelical right so if all we're meaning is that comment on this and then i sent him searching through the Septuagint Yeah, so in Isaiah 61, verse 1, the Septuagint uses the verb um, or uh, to evangelize, to to proclaim good news or good tidings, good message, sure does. Cool. Evangelistic. Now to the question, when people today, let's throw another question out before answering the other one, it might help. Should people today be holy? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. What are some biblical passages that say that we should be holy? First Peter chapter 1, you also be holy for I am holy in all your behavior, Peter will write. Okay, so all churches should be holiness churches, yes or no? Well, it depends yes. on what you mean by holiness churches. Yeah, exactly. If you mean simply what the word means, holy, yes. But in our culture, the way it's usually word, holiness church usually is more of a technical term to describe what? A theology or a denomination? work of grace. I'm sorry, we both said something at the same time. Go ahead, Jeff, say that again. Holiness is a term used for Pentecostal groups often, but specifically it's a second work of grace that was taught by the Wesleys. Yeah, and so it has a very specific meaning today. So if you ask Paul, you know, hey, should, you know, should there be holiness in the churches? Yes, yeah. And uh, should everybody believe that holiness is second worship of grace, separate from justification? You get justified first. A few years later, you get sanctification. Paul would say, no, no, holiness and sanctification go together. So that brings us to the term evangelical. Uh, Jesus was evangelistic. He's presenting the, the good news. Uh, we're to live by the good news and act by the good news and be like some of it. But when people say... That church is evangelical, or that person is evangelical. How does it get used today, for example? Well, well it's, go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with this. I'm excited to hear y'all's comments on this. But doesn't it have uh, more of an idea of a movement within historical Christianity, um, even with among Protestants? That is kind of a subgroup. And again, our, our viewer who asked this question asks along with it, why is Christianity so divided? But people, when they say, are you evangelical, don't they mean kind of a subset of broader Christianity? Yeah, it's a a term that's used for 
um, a particular segment of Protestantism, a conservative segment to be sure. I think really the term probably grows out of the Reformation movement uh, emphasis upon the gospel in, a, in opposition to the idea of justification by works. They're saying, no, the good news is we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. But then the heirs to the Reformation movement that you see in such denominations today is the conservative Presbyterian groups, the Southern Baptists, uh, the Assemblies of God, some of these others who have kind of a, they've taken this idea of the good news of salvation and they basically influenced by Calvinism. And uh, they've said, well, uh, you don't, you, you don't really have to do anything to be saved. Um, uh, they've taken uh, the idea that salvation is not of ourselves to the, to the extreme of saying it's, it's unconditional in, in practice. That's what they end up saying. Um, now, many of them will say there's certain things that you have to do, but basically it's this group of conservative Protestant churches um, who are saying they adhere to, to the orthodoxy of the Reformation movement, and they use the term evangelical to refer to that group of churches. So when we talk about a modern American evangelicalism, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, and so it seems to be most often, I'll, I'll give a notable exception in a moment, uh, but very often it's used to refer to people who believe that Jesus is the Christ, believe that Jesus died on our sins, but at a rather fundamental level that's often preached in one way or another in their churches, you don't have to obey. He would like it if you did. Yeah. He would be pleased if you did. Uh, you might get a bigger mansion, more jewels in your crown in heaven you, 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 if, if, you, if you obey him, but you don't need to obey him. Uh, and, and, uh, and, but you, you need to maybe pray a prayer, and ask Jesus in your heart, which, by the way, it sounded like it was doing something, but somehow that's not. And then that, and often it goes along with the idea of faith only. Now, I mentioned one exception, then Drew has a comment. Um, there are also churches which are extremely theologically liberal. Uh, one of the main churches here in Gettysburg is St. James, and it's ECLA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Uh, the Missouri Synod is a much more conservative Lutheran wing, the ECLA, or ELC, whichever it is, is much more liberal. And in this case, for instance, uh, a lady attending that church said that the pastor got up one day and informed, clarified to everybody, this is not a Bible-believing church. He wasn't, complaining. Wow. he wasn't complaining or rebuking. He was clarifying. In other words, if you believe the Bible, kind of, you're in the wrong place. True. So then what are they evangelicing? <laughs> This, well, it, it's kind of like this. <laughs> you like that uh, word I made up? What, what's the good yeah, yeah, right. There are many liberal theolo churches in liberal the theology that still have words in their traditions and titles that mean very little to them today. You know, it might have the term Christ in there, but if you ask them, was Jesus of Nazareth raised from the dead? Well, no. <laughs> you know, but it's but they'll, they'll still wear terms that uh, it, it, it can become rather empty. But that's a side point. The, the typically, if you hear in the media, if they talk about the evangelical voting base, they're usually not talking about the liberal Lutherans. All right. So uh, that, let's segment, segment into the second part of that question. And why is 
quote unquote Christianity so divided. Yeah, I, well, your quote unquote there is significant. If we're going to talk about Christianity being divided, we're talking about so-called Christianity. We're talking about all these different denominations and sects and so on that profess to be of Christ. And, well, what we've just been saying really illustrates a, a part of the reason it's so divided. You've got some people who aren't following the Bible. They're not Bible-believing. And not everybody who's not Bible-believing admits they're not Bible-believing, but some will go so far as to say we're not Bible-believing. If you've got some part of so-called Christianity saying, we're going to follow the Bible, and some part saying, we're not going to follow the Bible, they're going to be divided. Yeah, it comes back to really what is our source of authority. Uh, I mean, Jesus foresaw this type of thing would happen in the Sermon on the Mount at the end where he says in Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And those are two different things. You can wear the name Christian and call him Lord, but that doesn't necessarily mean you are obeying the will of his Father in heaven. And, and that's why we get a lot of division within so-called Christianity is because not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is doing the will of the Father. Scott, you said E-V-C-L-C. How did, how did that go again? E-L-C-A, I think. And what does that stand for? Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which okay. between the Missouri Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, Evangelical Lutheran churches are generally farther to the left theologically, Missouri Synod, closer to uh, Luther's. Is there a Wisconsin Synod? I, there may be, but I'm thinking a lot of Wisconsin is tied up with the Missouri Synod, but okay. I, I could be wrong. Anyway, when we start talking about Missouri Synod and this sort of thing, and that's just, this just is the, this particular division or this particular denomination of the Lutherans illustrates the point what we're doing is we're saying we're allied with them instead of we're allied with Christ. We're allied with the doctrine that comes out of this mouthpiece as opposed to saying we're allied with the word of God. Now I'm sure if you talk to somebody there, they would say, well, we're allied with them because they're allied with the word of God. But when we start doing that, we're just setting ourselves up to be divided. To illustrate the principle, did not Luther himself say, in his lifetime, don't call yourselves after me. If it was wrong for people to call themselves after Paul and Apollos, First Corinthians 1, then certainly people shouldn't call themselves after me. And I think I, I think he said that, and if he did, he's wrong. I don't think he said exactly that, because he didn't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try it in the German. <laughs> I was going to do it in German, except I don't speak German. <laughs> Listen to this from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Now, in the first century, were there a number of heresies going around? Without going into the details, let's just name one or two or three of the heresies. Resurrection's passed already. Resurrection's passed already, yeah. That Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Yeah, another Gnostic view. You, you have to be circumcised. Gentiles need to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised. Yeah, yeah, which is the book of Galatians about. The baptism of John. 
We can worship in the idol temple. We can go down and participate in the idol feast. So we have all these things then, and you might think, well, surely it would just get better and better. Yet 2 Timothy 3 says this. And so to the question, you know, why does this happen? Uh, this Bible tells all the reasons why, but it does tell some of them, and it tells that it would. 2 Timothy 3.13, evil men and imposters will wax worse and worse. And then it gives two types. What are the two types? Deceiving. And those being deceived. Being deceived. There have been televangelists, faith healers, who have used radio transmissions to get you know things told to them about information gathered on people and then pretend that it was Jesus or the Holy Spirit telling them. That's not somebody that's really thinking he's right when he's wrong. He knows he's lying straight up. Yep. And then there's other people that have been deceived into believing whether a cultic system or a various false doctrine, and they believe it, but they're deceived. Well, this mentions that there's going to be people both deceived and deceiving. And sometimes you've got the same person who fits both categories. Yes, yes, it could be a blend. He's deceived, and because he's deceived, he deceives others unwittingly. Yeah. And then it says, but you remain in the things which you have learned of and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them, that from a babe you have known the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Every scripture inspired of God is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for instruction, which is in righteousness. Do we need correction? Absolutely. Do we need instruction? Yes. Yeah, we need it individually. We need it as a a body of believers. We need instruction and correction. But then in proceeding on, uh, it says in verse 2, preach the word, be urgent in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure the sound doctrine, but having itching ears will heap to themselves teachers after their own lusts and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to fables. And that happens over and over and over. So, go ahead, Drew. So it's the, the motivation there is that they want something for themselves. They're desiring something, whatever it is, whether it's monetary or otherwise, desiring something for themselves to go after other people who are teaching things. And then you have those who are teaching things erroneously are motivated also for other things than serving God. And we saw over time in, in history that this evolves over time, and you have all these different denominations. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, he warns the elders at Ephesus that that is going to happen. Uh, in Acts 20, verse 28, he's talking to the elders, the bishops, the overseers, and he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. We're talking men doing and saying twisted things, but still in the name of Christianity. And so really, just like when Jesus came, you might say Jesus went to the Hebrew Bible Belt. 
And who were his harshest words for? The leaders, the, Jew, the Jewish leaders. Yeah. And the, the Bible warns about teachers, you know, teaching perverse things and stuff. And so what we need to do is, what did, the Bible commended the Bereans. When Paul went into that synagogue, the Jewish uh, members of that synagogue did something really noble. Paul presented something they hadn't heard before, but he presented argument from Scripture. And in Acts 17.11, what does the text commend? They received the word with all readiness of mind, examining the Scriptures daily, whether these things were so. They were looking at the Word of God and measuring what Paul said by what they knew was the Word of God in Scripture. So Very they were much. just taking him at face value at that moment. Right, right. They checked what he said according to Scripture. So... Uh, let's, I want to throw out three scenarios and ask you all to comment on them. Scenario number one, it's uh, you've, you've got a town, a city, uh, and it's just full of churches. You look, uh, you know, there, here's one, here's one, here's one. This one says you should worship on Saturday because if you worship on Sunday, it's the mark of the beast. This one says worship on Sunday and you can have everybody speaking in tongues, no interpreter, everybody at the same time. This one says, no, you can't do that. Uh, but you sprinkle babies. This one says, no, you immerse believers. This one says, you immerse believers, but it doesn't need to happen. This one says, no, you need to do it for the remission of sins. This one says, you call the Pope the Holy Father. This one says, so you've got all these different churches. This one says, Jesus is Michael the Archangel, and his body never rose from the dead. This one says, if you do uh, your temple service, you can be God over your own planet. So there's all these different churches. The Bible said... One, don't have all these a bunch of division and following different men. The Bible said, give diligence, keep unity, Ephesians 4. And Jesus prayed that believers would be one. So I'm going to mention three approaches, and I ask y'all to come. Approach number one. We just kind of draw a circle around it and say, well, everybody kind of in some way believes in Jesus, so we're united there, and all roads lead to heaven. And that's kind of a popular approach. Follow that biblically. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Right. So calling that unity and calling that walking in truth, it's, it doesn't mean it's what it is. You know, uh, if, if, if you need a milk cow and you've only got a cat, and you paint cow on the side of the cat, it doesn't mean you have a cow. Um, that is a very strange analogy, but it makes sense. And another, another way to uh, imagine you have a math teacher and you have a class, and she says to the class, What is four times four? And one kid says, Three, 12, seven, eight, W. You know, they all have different answers. The teacher says, Oh, that was wonderful. Oh, uh, yeah. Everyone found their own expression of what times <laughs> four meant to you. You know, and, 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 and you're all correct. Now, if you were evaluating that teacher, would you say that she was offensive and hurt the students' feelings? No. Uh, no. <laughs> but would you say that she taught them math? No. <laughs> no, no. All right, so that brings us to scenario number two. You look at all the division, and so uh, me, you, anybody else says, look at all this terrible division. If everybody would just do what I say, we could have some unity around here. 
So, you know, you'll often hear the Catholic argument, look what happened when Protestants started reading the Bible. You know, back in the good old days, when you weren't allowed to read the Bible, you know, everybody stayed in the same camp, you know, and uh, you start reading the Bible and, and you just, just close that book, come back to the Pope and we'll have unity. Uh, Mormons will say, look, if you have the Bible, you can be confused, but if you lock it in with the Book of Mormon, then you'll have unity or the Watchtower Society, um, you know, that every kingdom hall in the world had the same lesson this past Sunday because it's all directed from headquarters. And when they come to your door, do they, they want to hand you something? What do they want to hand you when they come to your door? A Bible? No. The pamphlet. Yeah, they've got their, that's, that's produced by, in fact, one of the uh, leaders in that movement years back in early 20th century, he said, we've noticed that if people stop reading our literature and only read the Bible, they end up in the dark. But if they will read our literature, even if they don't read the Bible, they'll end up in the light. <laughs> so what's the problem? So this is the self-standard approach, the everybody listen to me approach. What's the problem with that? Well, actually, there's no problem with that. We just got to get everybody to go on to that one channel, and then you'll have it. You'll have uh, unity. <laughs> so you'd have unity. So this is the math teacher saying, I'm sorry, children, you sounded very confused, and there you were all divided. Let's try again. What's four times four? I'm going to step out of the room. I'll come back in a minute. One big kid says, we look really stupid. You know, this time, let's all say the same thing. <laughs> let's, all say, let's all say W. Yeah, well, let's all say W. And there's, so, there's a unity, but it's not in the truth. It's not a unity in the word of God. It's a unity around this person. And it exactly. may be the kid in class, but. <laughs> yeah. Now, in that sense, that would be a, considered a cult. It's a, it's, a, it's a cultic unity to an, to an extent. Yeah. Then, so, what does Jesus say? Jesus said in John 8, 31, what w will make us true? If you abide in me, you will, be, you, will be, you will truly be my disciples. If you abide in my word, and I can't remember how he says it. Let me yeah, tell you. And that's, what he said, and that's what he said, and the, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you will remain in my word. Yeah, will truly be my disciples. So John chapter 10, Jesus said, his sheep don't listen to the voice of strangers. He said, my sheep listen to me and follow me. So that's our responsibility. It's not our responsibility to assume that we're the good shepherd. We're not. It's not our responsibility to assume everybody has to listen to us. They don't. It's our responsibility if we're going to, to listen to Jesus. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, let's, let's follow him. Well, what happens then when someone accuses you, Scott, that you're not very tolerant? Oh, well, it, means, it depends on what you mean by tolerant. If you mean, do I approve of people rejecting what Jesus said and going against it? No, I don't, and neither did Jesus. Exactly. And following Jesus involves standing against sin. There's another approach, and it's kind of related to the first one you said. We just draw a circle around and say, well, it's all all right. But this is what a lot of people will do. They, they, they decide, well, I, I, I want to be more active as a Christian. There's all these different churches, all these different doctrines. And maybe starting with kind of the subconscious idea, it's all good. It's all basically serving the same God. 
They then start looking for a group of people with whom to worship by asking, where's a group that kind of fits what I'm comfortable with or yep. what I'm familiar with? Yep. And, and a lot, oftentimes we'll hear people say, I want to find a good church home. And yep. you start talking to them. And what they mean by a good church home is, I want to find a place where there's, there are people like me, where they're, they're uh, good programs for the youth because I've got teenagers, I've got teenage children, or there's child care because I have, it's all about what's going to suit my life. Let me take my life like it is, and I'm not changing anything, and I just want to find a church that kind of fits, fits I, I want the flavor I like. Yeah. You, 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 whoa, whoa, you mean, Jeff, you mean Christianity is, not, that's not Christianity? No, that's Baskin Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> but there's way more than 31 flavors now. <laughs> oh, good point. The St. Burger King, you can't have it your way. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, so that is why Christianity is so divided. Back to Mark's question is because we all want it our way. Yes, sure. You, you, yeah, you go into Burger King and... Do they still serve it your way? I think you can still yeah. get it your way. But you'll find all different, if they do, you'll find all different combinations of, of hamburgers spread throughout. There's not going to be. And I had a Whopper two days ago. I asked for extra pickles, extra onions. They loaded it up. Did they? Yeah. But you're right. That's, that's how people, we, we want God to kind of fit us. And then when God doesn't fit us, a lot of people end up, saying they don't believe in God. And that's that's a little bit of an upside. That's a lot, a bit of an upside down. In one of my uh, lessons, I was doing some research, and uh, there's actually, depends on how far you want to really break them down, but there are differences, 30,000 different denominations wear the name Christianity in one form or another. Yeah, and number, numbers like that can really discourage people uh, when they start to search for the Lord and they feel like, well, all these different people just say all these different things. And to some extent, that's true. There's a lot of people teaching a lot of different things. But that doesn't mean that we can't know the truth. For a long time, postmodernism has been the popular philosophy in our culture that, oh, it's just my truth, your truth, red truth, blue truth. Uh, yep. You know, kind of the Dr. Seuss approach. And it just, th that breaks down. Because if somebody says there is no such thing as absolute truth, what's the question you ask them in response? Is that true? Is that true? Uh, it, it's a self-defeating proposition. Right. But there are a lot of people who believe a lot of different things. That is the state of things. But that doesn't mean we can't know what God wants us to know. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't search for the truth and try to find other people who are searching for the truth. And we can help each other and be helped by other people. When we will listen, we can learn. When, when, other, when we'll all listen to the word, we can, we can learn and see and grow. Um, it's interesting looking at Acts 15 at, uh, when a question had come up and Peter reminds him, look, this is what God said about it. Paul and Barnabas say, Look, this is what God has done about it. And then James says, look, this is what the past, the scriptures said about it. And, uh, and, and with, there needs to be an involvement and a service before God to, to look, look to his word and will. Drew. Yeah, a comment just came in from Scott. Uh, Keyword, my 
me, I, pride, and selfishness. Notice how much of our marketing today is all about that. You know, it's all about you. You do you. You know, it's business marketers have learned that today's generation really wants things about them. Uh, and the, we used to be known as a ruggedly individualistic country. We left out the rugged part, but we've become an in, indulgent, individually indulgent country, I think. In self. And, and uh, I think, isn't it Isaiah in the 66 chapter, he says that this is the Lord, God has created everything. He doesn't need anything, but this is the one whom I'll look at or consider. He has a contrite, humble heart to my word. And who trembles at my word. That's right. Yeah, let's look at that. We've got that right here. Isaiah 66, 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Totally the opposite of what Scott had just put in uh, the comment. Me, my, I, pride. This is humility, humbling ourselves before God. Listen to this passage from James. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James 1, verse 21. Any other comments on that? If we go ahead and get started on it now, we can get to the other question on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, unless somebody has something further on that. No, I think that's now's a good time to do that. We still have 15 minutes, almost 15 minutes left. Let's go ahead and go with that question. This comes in from Matt. It says, what do you think is meant by the eternal sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Does this mean there, there is a sin you cannot repent of? And that some people who have blasphemed in this way have no hope of salvation. I'll read the text and then y'all discuss it. Here's the text, Matthew 12, 31. Therefore I say unto you, every sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. Whosoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him neither in this world nor in that which is to come. Uh, and maybe a good place to start would be context. Or yeah, context is always important, and especially in this case, uh, what he's making this statement because the Pharisees have just done what he's talking about. They have just blasphemed or spoken against. Blaspheme means speak against the Holy Spirit. The context is there was a man who was blind and dumb and possessed by a demon. And Jesus cast out the demon so that the man can both see and, um, and speak. And so then the Pharisees heard about the miracle. It's interesting. They didn't actually see it, but they didn't doubt that he'd done the miracle. They assumed uh, he did the miracle, but they're going to try to discredit Jesus by saying, well, he did it by the power of Beelzebub. That is to say, he did it by the by the power of the devil. Now just think about this for a moment. Why did Jesus do miracles? So that people could believe that he was speaking from God. He was a messenger from God. What he was saying was from God. 
And uh, how did he do miracles? Well, by the Spirit of God. And that was the evidence. Now, he's done the miracle. The Pharisees grant that he's done the miracle, but they say, well, you know, we're not going to believe you because we say you did it by the power of the devil. And then Jesus goes on and he shows the absurdity of thinking that it was done by the devil. And then alternatively, he says, but if I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, then is the kingdom come upon you. Notice what he did. If I did it by the Spirit of God, he says that leads to a conclusion where, whereby, just think about this, if they understand that conclusion, what can they have? Forgiveness of sins and participation in the kingdom. But if they say, oh, no, you didn't do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was by the power of the devil. What have they done? They've burnt their bridge. They yeah. made it impossible for them to receive the forgiveness that's being offered to them. You can say, well, maybe he'll do another miracle. He does another miracle. What are they going to say? Same no, thing. That was by the devil, too. Yeah, that was by the Sorcery. So the, the method of communicating to them what they needed to understand to have forgiveness, they've rejected. So can they have forgiveness? And Not as long as they're rejecting it. Right. So in that sense, this is a sin. If, if I, it's not that this is a different sin than other sins in the sense that God is not willing to forgive this sin, but he's willing to forgive other sins. It's that it's by definition. If I reject the avenue of forgiveness, I can't have forgiveness. Duh. And, and to that point, you remember that Paul described himself as formerly being a blasphemer, but then he received mercy. Right. Um, so it's not that there's some magic sin out there that once you do it, too bad. You know, there's no forgiveness for that. Paul was forgiven for what he did, which included blasphemy. Um, oh, Stephen, that's excellent. I didn't put that together before, but now putting it together with what Jeff was saying, that is perfect. Because here's an actual example of someone who did reject that opportunity of forgiveness when he was out persecuting Christ. And let, then, me play, uh, let me play uh, advocate here. Uh, the text, though, says every sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Spirit. You can speak against the Son and be forgiven, but you can't speak against the Spirit and be forgiven. Sure. You could, you could be somebody, and you hear about this Jesus, and you go, oh, he's, he's a phony. He's not, he's not the real deal. And then he does a miracle, and you go, oh, wow, like Nicodemus. Rabbi, right. we know that you're a teacher from God because no man can do the signs that you do. How did he do those signs? Right. By the power of the Holy Spirit. So can this person be forgiven? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, and what has he done? He's spoken against the Son of God, against the Son of Man. Initially. Right. Initially. But he can be forgiven. Nathaniel. Yeah, I wouldn't call it blasphemy, but when he hears about Jesus, he goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a compliment. But then when Jesus says, an Israelite in whom there's no God, what do you know about me? Or you were sitting under the picture, I mean. But then, if Nathaniel, but then if Nathaniel said, yeah, you, you just knew that by the devil. That was, is the devil. You're <laughs> <laughs> not going to be able to do much of them. Yeah. You. So Matt asks, so this passage is more likened to Hebrews 10, 26 through 30. No other way back to God if you've turned on God. Similar. Yeah, very similar. And another way that might help is to consider 2 Corinthians 7. Because what is it that leads to forgiveness? 
in Second Corinthians 7? Repentance. What is it that leads to repentance? Godly sorrow. So it says godly sorrow leads to repentance unto salvation. Well, if you're if Jesus is doing miracles and you would rather say he's doing it from the devil than from God, there's no belief, there's no godly sorrow that's going to lead you to repent. And if you don't repent, there's not going to be forgiveness. Uh, one, go ahead, Stephen. I've had people approach me about this, and sometimes when somebody comes to me, they'll say, "I'm." I'm so scared. I'm afraid that I have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid that I've done this and now I can't be forgiven. And oh no, what's happened? And usually I think it's fair to say if somebody is worried about that, they're safe. <laughs> because obviously they're, they're not, you know, trying to explain away some miracle that's just happened in front of them. They're not hardening their hearts against evidence that's right in front of them. They are sincerely wanting to follow God. They are scared that they've been separated from God. And so if somebody's in that position, I don't think that they're in, in any danger of actually blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Drew. Yeah. yeah I have a, a question on someone that might say, and I've heard this said that, well, Jesus was a good man. We're talking about someone in today's century. And, but all of the stories about the great things he's done and the resurrection, all that, that was just embellished and made up over time. So they're not accepting him as the son of God. That do don't do that. My question is, do they fall into this category that you're talking about? Not necessarily. Um, if they haven't really looked at uh, Paul had probably heard that Jesus did miracles, but it wasn't until he saw the vision that he realized, oh, that's real, and, and he changed his life. Uh, so if someone's just heard some things, but l- l- let's maybe do an analogy like this. You're studying with a fella, and he's an unbeliever. He said, well, let let me show you some things in Scripture. And you start showing him God's plan. You start showing the foreshadowing from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You read him Isaiah 53 and explain this was written hundreds of years before. Psalm 22, hundreds of years before about they pierce his hands and his feet. come from Bethlehem. All these different things. You look at the, the change in the apostles, the expansive growth based on the belief of the resurrection. And you get down, he goes, wow, that there's something supernatural going on there. Mm-hmm. That, that, and you say, do you believe that this is just a, I mean, we got lots of collections of old writings from different pagan religions. Is that all this is? He goes, no, something special is going on here. Say, good. So you believe, oh no, the devil wrote that book. <laughs> you know, <laughs> man couldn't have done that. The devil wrote that book. Well, now what can you do? It's nothing. There's no place you can go. Yeah, yeah, because he's, like Jeff said, the bridge. He's rejected the avenue that the Spirit's role is especially seen in the New Testament in revelation and evidence. And if you reject, you can't find out about Jesus Christ without evidence and revelation of the Spirit. And if you reject the Spirit, you reject Christ. If you reject Christ, you can't have forgiveness. So let me make this, just to emphasize, let me make this point, and we've said this, but the issue here with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it's not that God is unwilling to forgive some particular sin. The problem isn't with God. The problem is with the the person and the kind of person he is, what what he is in in his own heart. And I think this is illustrated in Hebrews 6 where this uh, similar passage, and people sometimes struggle with this one as well, 
In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, As touching those who were once enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then fell away, it's impossible to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. And then he has an illustration. For the land which has drunk the rain that comes oft upon it and brings forth herbs, meet for them for whose sake it is also tilled, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is rejected and nigh unto a curse whose end is to be burned. Here's the land. It's received the rain that it needs to produce fruit, to bear fruit. God sends that, that blessing. It's not that God doesn't want this land to bear fruit. He sends the rain. But if you've got land that gets the rain and is still not bearing fruit, the problem is in the land. And when we're talking about this blasphemy uh, of the yeah. spirit, the problem is in the person. The person doesn't want the truth. <clears throat> yeah. And in fact, going back to the context in Matthew 12, after talking about their blaspheming spirit, he says this, you offspring of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yep. You know, a miracle has been done and they would rather say, oh, he did, he did it by, you know, Prince of Demons. Uh, lastly, let's just point this out. We've referred to this concept. Let's mention to a text that says it. There's a text that says God doesn't want anybody to perish, but wants all that come to repentance. So, so when you have a difficult passage some way, does it mean this or this? If another passage rules out one of them, then go with this one. You know, if you could read Matthew 12 and you could picture it, wow, here's two people that really want to be forgiven. And God says, yeah, I'm forgiving you because you blasphemed him, but I'm not forgiving you because you blasphemed him. But we're assuming the person wanted to be forgiven. The Pharisees didn't want to be forgiven there. It's the problem is with the person. And so where is the passage that says, that God's not wishing anybody should perish, but that all would come to repentance. It's where? Second Peter chapter three. Verse nine and ten. And uh, so if a person wants to repent, they can be forgiven. But if they have this heart of a heart that they reject the evidence and would rather attribute it to the devil, you have blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Guys, we're gonna have to close on that note unless you have anything you want to add to that, any one of you. No, thanks to everybody for tuning in today. And again, if you have Bible questions, we'd love to discuss your question on the air. Uh, please feel free to leave that in the comments below or, or to email us, um, Stephen at BibleQuest.tv or uh, any of our first names, Drew, Jeff, Scott at BibleQuest.tv, and we'd be happy to uh, discuss your questions. We get a, we've been getting a lot of good questions coming in right from the website, BibleQuest.tv, so you don't have to remember anybody's email address if you can't. Go to the website, fill out the form right there, and we'll gladly add your question for the next program. Guys, thanks an awful lot for your input. Really enjoyed it today. Everyone have a good week. Thanks, Drew. Thank you.